You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a really special guest here with us, a very unique guest. I never had an author. Uh, well, I've had authors, but authors for ebooks, uh, but never a full-fledged author on our show before. So this will be an interesting conversation, so to speak. Uh, John Sephoric, he's the author of The Wealthy Gardener, which is an excellent uh, book that I recommend everybody to get their hands on. I'd say it's a, a modern-day rich dad, poor dad, um, so to speak. And uh, John's going to, you know, basically we're going to have a conversation on you know, what inspired him to write this book? Um, in the preamble here, it's, it's really titled Life Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. So we want to talk about um, the inspiration and, and the bond he has with his son and um, kind of the interesting way that he was able to write this book um, using various metaphors. Uh, he goes from fiction, a fictional story on one side and then a non-fictional story on the other side. Um, and relates it back to his own his own life, um, and he talks about various topics. He talks about the importance of time, uh, financial security, um, you know, uh, personal growth, uh, you know, best practices, something called intangible forces. So we want to get into all of that on this show because the ultimate goal of this show too is to educate um, our investors and partners and listeners um, on what it really means to be financially free. And John will kind of talk about that as well. So John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Great. So let's kind of go into it. I talked to you up a lot. So what is The Wealthy Gardener about? Did I, did I, did I give it justice? Or? You, you talked me up a lot. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we could just uh, shut the show down right now. I'm happy. So uh, what is The Wealthy Gardener? Was that your question? Yeah. What, what is this about? What, what is, who is The Wealthy Gardener? Well, the wealthy gardener is uh, like you said. It's it was a fictional character that was contrived uh, so that I could help to educate my own son uh, when I was trying to convey the lesson, my own lessons on prosperity. Uh, in that fictional tale, the uh, wealthy gardener is an old man that's nearing the end of his life. He started out with a small vegetable garden, and he grew that garden into a large farm, vineyard, and winery. Uh, he did that over many years by just putting the days, his days to best use. Uh, he's a guy who believes in wealth and he has no problem uh, trying to help others, you know, gain wealth because for him, it's been a noble pursuit. It was a metaphor uh, for me. The wealthy gardener, you know, the gardener has always been a metaphor for a person's time on earth. It's a classic metaphor that's been used throughout history. Uh, so that's why the garden uh, applied so much to what I was talking about. It's about life. And, you know, wealth in this story is about money. Uh, it's about more than enough money. Uh, so, you know, for my son to live his fullest life, I was hoping that he could win this thing called money, not for greed or power over others, but for power over time, power over himself so that he could live the fullest life possible. It was important for me, Anthony, because I struggled in my own life and I struggled without that power 
And I could tell you that earning that power was, was a, an adventure for me. And having the power of time freedom uh, was certainly worth the climb looking back. And so I needed my son to know the lessons that I learned along the way. That's all. Sure. No, and John has a, a really good story um, in, in the first section of the, the book as he relates it to his own life and, and his son. Can you kind of talk about, um, we don't have to go into the full details, but high level, some of the struggles that, um, you know, you went through. I mean, you went, you know, after reading this, you went through some serious struggles um, and you were able to turn turn yourself around uh, very quickly. Um, can you kind of, you know, and, and you, you talk about a lot of different concepts in here, and um, but if there's anything, you know, one key um, kind of driving force to motivate you to, to get back on your feet um, because you had, you did have a lot of setbacks and but the fact you're able to overcome them was um, that, you know, amazing and in, in, in such a quick period of time. And what was the, that light bulb moment um, for you to, to get back on track? I'll tell you the truth is uh, I, I feel like I did, I was that guy that did things right. I went to college I was the first person in my family who ever went to college. You know, some of the setbacks you talk about, the disadvantage that I came from is that, you know, my grandfather was a coal miner and he died penniless. My parents, they started out not with a trailer, but with a half of a trailer. I was the first person in my, co in my family to ever go to college. And little did I know that that wasn't the end of the goal because that was just going to be the start of the, the real climb because I, graduated with $200,000 of debt in today's dollars. So I started out as a chiropractor and it took me about till about the age of 30 till I realized one thing for sure. I, by then I had a wife and two kids and I was a wage slave. I was working for food, shelter, clothing, paying back this big enormous debt that nobody could see. And that was my life. And I was frustrated by that. I had uh, I had the life of a wage slave, and I lived it every day. So yeah, I can I feel for the person who might be in those circumstances right now. Uh, you ask about a moment. I can always bring bring myself back to a moment in my when I was thirty. I went for a walk in my hometown. I remember going through a cemetery that's here. I remember sitting beside a tombstone. Uh, that tombstone was my grandfather, the coal miner. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking that I'm a wage slave and I realized that while I might have some disadvantages against me and while I might feel trapped, that man went into a cave every day of his life and worked 10 hours just to be penniless. That was true wage slavery. There's no way out of that. And he gave 40 years of his life for that. And, you know, the sad story is the tangent there is that he could have been a major league baseball player, uh, player. He he, he turned that down because he had a family he wanted to provide and he did the responsible thing. And at 30, I was in a similar situation where I was going to provide. I had a family as well, uh, but I was not going to lose this game of finances. To me, uh, there was a lot of things that I wanted in my life, especially uh, giving my kids opportunities, giving my family security, giving myself a little bit of breathing room. Those things meant so much to me that I set a really big goal at the age of 30, sitting there beside that tombstone and i could say that was the before and after day where uh, i set this really large goal to retire 20 years later with a retirement income uh, that's pretty sizable so i didn't just want financial freedom and live in a small life i i was 
I was done with this. I was so frustrated. I wanted financial power. And financial power to me meant a retirement income of $240,000. That's what I wanted to become flowing to me like a river. And I set that goal uh, kind of kind of out of a, you know, that, that desperation, I think, is really where I was coming from. And I just had enough. And so I set a big goal. Why not? I wanted financial power. And I achieved that over the next 20 years. And then the time came when I finished and I retired and I wrote that book for my son to teach him to how, how to not be enslaved by money in life as well. It's a tough life if uh, struggling in mediocrity. It's people say that it's hard to gain wealth. Well, it's hard not to gain wealth. It's hard to struggle like that forever. And so I just wanted him to know this is how you can do it. These are the timeless principles that matter. Should you choose to want that like I did? Excellent. Excellent. So what, what were some of the tactics that, that you chose after the career as a chiropractor? You talk about it in your book, obviously extensively. I don't want you to give it all away, but on a high level, and then kind of talk about um, some of the principles that, that you apply, um, that you, you speak about in the book where, you know, um, the, you know, impact activities and, um, you know, the intangible forces and the fact that you can't, you know, procrastination is, sure. is death and, um, you know, meditation. There's, there's so many things you talk about, um, you know, importance of scheduling. Um, you know, where did you go from, from there? So you had a goal of that retirement yeah. income, how did you get there? And what vehicles allowed you to get there over that 20 years? So the first thing I would say to answer that is that the, uh, the absolute start is that I did not lose my day job. Uh, people always wanna make this big change in their life. And I say so many times throughout that book that your day job is a duty. It's, it's what you do on planet earth to stay alive. So that was a duty. I, I still went to work as a chiropractor day after day. And so the difference in my life became how I used my leisure hours. Uh, that's where the freedom was. That's where the sacrifice was. That's where the difference of my life was. What did I do there? I, I just really studied wealthy people right off the bat. I studied the people who had wealth, of course. Uh, then I, I went through a process of education. I, I studied, you know, people, I studied books on goals, on money management, personal finance. I passive income. I mean, cause I wasn't looking for a pile of cash. I was looking for a river of gold. All right. You know, I wanted that. So of course you have to learn, you have to expand yourself and understand things that you don't understand, you know, earlier on in your life. So I, I educated myself. First of all, uh, that was the most important thing. I, during that education, I saw that wealthy people own things that uh, create money while you sleep. There's no other way around it. You have to get to yourself to ownership. So the problem with ownership is that that requires a pile of money. The problem with that is I didn't have any. And so now what? I moved into rental real estate in addition to my chiropractic. So that was my second thing. I was building a rental business, a portfolio. I was always expanding that. Of course, that takes a pile of cash. And so I, I then went into flipping. That was my three-pronged attack. I was a chiropractor. I was building the rentals. And I was flipping houses. Well, that was like a three-pronged attack to increase my, my income. At the same time, what I didn't do, and this is a big one people will gloss over, is that I never increased my spending. I kept my spending the same, even though my income might have tripled over the years. I, all of that discretionary income was not a choice. 
there was no choice of what I can do for that. It's not like, uh, should I get a swimming pool? No, those choices were off the scale for me because what I wanted was financial freedom. So that was always an untouchable fund for investment. So Anthony, when, I, when you answered the question, in, in a summary, I, I'm looking at, I increased my offense, my income. I, my defense was always strong and I kept fun, funneling all my money into uh, rentals for the purpose of buying assets that earn money while you sleep. And I did that just steadily, consistently, unglamorously, but very, very consistently throughout the years until I reached that goal of 240. So that was the strategy. Excellent. No, that's, that's awesome. So um, you talk a lot about, and you mentioned this as well, um, self-discipline. I think you have a whole chapter on it towards the, the later end of your book, latter end of your book. Um, and in addition to success habits, so you started to educate yourself on, you know, how other um, individuals and, and people became wealthy in this country. And a lot of that was through what you said, a lot of everybody owned assets that was in, in, income producing. So it started with education. And then um, this, that was the whole purpose of this book. It's really to, to educate, correct? And it started with your son. Absolutely. I cannot, I can lead the horse to water and I can, I can educate that horse. But as far as running, that's, that's on him. Uh, I've done my job as a parent. I think as, as parents, we all want to, you know, pass on our life lessons to our kids. Uh, and that's our job. The job stops there. We, we don't have a whip in our hands and we can't make them happen. But it is our job, I think, to try to pass it along. And I just maybe did it in a unique way where I decided to write a book to him. So, yeah, I, it was completely about education. Without education, we're trapped. If you want expansion in your life, you grow yourself out of your trap through knowledge. Absolutely. Sure. And, and I, I think something important that you mentioned, you know, the, when you're at your grandfather's tombstone, you were, you were 30 years old. Uh, which is around the, the, the age I am as well. Um, don't you, the, the biggest regret that I have was I should have started this accumulating assets that were income producing earlier in life. Um, and I think the way, and I guess this is a question, the way you wrote this, this book, um, you know, <clears throat> you talk a little bit about, uh, I think I'm trying to remember the names of everybody, the Santos, uh, there's, there's a lot of different um, characters um, yeah. on the, the fictional side, you know, I, I think the way you did it, you know, encourages a younger audience to start to, that education or the educational process earlier it, it, because a lot of them don't want to be reading a textbook. This is not a textbook. This is a story. And then, you know, it relates to real life. So I think that's pretty interesting for the younger folks. Is that, is that part of the reason you, you wrote it, wrote it this way as well? You know, I, I could have a 12-hour conversation with somebody over and over and over if I wrote a book, including my son. And then when we made the audio book, you know, that even becomes another level of a story where you can gain, you can, you can gain the experience of lessons through a fictional tale. You know, you can also screw up and make yourself look really foolish in this kind of a parable. And I was aware of that. So I gave it a lot of time and I cared a lot about trying to make a realistic story that people would uh, understand it would it's timeless lessons wrapped around a story that would make you get it give you the experience of winning uh while you know you're learning so 
that was critical to me. I don't, I, I think sometimes knowledge can fall on you and you can just forget about it. But there are times when I've read biographies and I've, I've witnessed how a person handled a situation in a biography. Later on in life, I'm not even thinking about that person. But I said, you know, I remember Ray Kroc who once said that McDonald's wasn't about burgers. It was about real estate. He was buying real estate. That's how he, that's how he viewed it. And so you, you bring back these lessons and maybe, just maybe, by getting a fictional story in there, you can give people that enlightenment that sticks in there and helps them, gives them the experience. And you know, I, I would say this, Anthony, in response to what you're saying, the 30-year-old the who would uh, say, I wish I did it sooner, I cannot tell you how many 60-year-olds I hear say that. And they're going to laugh and chuckle because they know you're at the start of life. And these people are wishing. You know, in the book, we always talk about uh, you know, the seasons of life. You know, there's a spring, summer, and fall. It's like the, the life, uh, life is not two halves, but three acts. You know, an act one, act two, and act three. You have zero to 30, 30 to 60, and 60 to 90. And it's a good way to look at it. You know, think of a zero to 30 as that's the learning about wealth. The 30 to 60 is the earning of wealth. And the joke is beyond 60, that's the burning of wealth. So if you do it right, you got enough to burn after you're 60. So I wouldn't rush it too much. Give yourself a pass, forgive it. I mean, I could tell you this from my standpoint, talking to a lot of people, anybody who's 30 asking me the questions you are, you're way ahead of the game. So I would say any of your listeners, give yourself a pass on that and start right where you are. Um, I want to focus on on a few things, a few specific topics from the book that I think would help our listeners in terms of increasing their productivity or just mental awareness. Could you talk a little bit more? I really love the um, the meditation chapter. Could you talk a little bit more about that? And do you still practice this? And um, you know how that how that helps you? It definitely helps me, um, but I might do it in a different way than than you do. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I, I, I do think that there's different ways to do it based on the need of my lifetime. And yeah, you're talking about private stuff like prayer and meditation now. So uh, I'll try to answer that as honestly as possible. I, yes, I meditated this morning. Uh, what I, sometimes a meditation for me is what's well, always about clearing your mind out from the buzz of the uh, of the 50,000 thoughts going through your head every day. It's getting past thinking and getting more into feeling and getting in tune with the Taoists we'll call getting in tune with the river, what the uh, you know Christians will say, getting the presence of God. Uh, so everybody has a different term for it, but all religions come back to that stillness, quieting your mind and getting in touch with what, what some would say is spirituality. And I would say is spirituality. When I would meditate, there are times when I'm just flat out exhausted, man. And what my goal of that meditation is, is to just give myself a chance, a chance to recharge. That's how I've discovered meditation. When I, I was burning the candle at both ends, I didn't need any advice about not burning the candle. I needed more wax. And so, you know, that's how you get things in life. You have to earn them. And so I was looking at meditation as just to recharge this tired battery. What I found was that it worked for that, but it also got me aware of a deeper, um, deeper feelings. I think there were some things out of line for me at that time. But if you don't, if you don't stop and slow down, you don't you don't feel that enough. 
Specifically, I needed to get rid of some employees. I needed to change some things around. I needed to emphasize a little bit more of this business and a little bit of that business. And if you meditate enough, you're looking for guidance and direction now. You can kind of feel things. We have instincts. We have feelings. Not to be trusted exclusively, but to be considered among the mix of our reasonable, reasonable, uh, rational mind. And so the mix of intuition and reason, I think that's a powerful duo. I don't trust one or the other. I bring them both to every decision. And if you do that, I do think you can avoid poor decisions. And my God, if life isn't decisions, I don't know what it is. Everything, everything we're complaining about usually was a decision uh, if we lived long enough. So that's the value of meditation to me. It can be a guiding force. It can be a quieting, restful force. And I would say so far as if I can feel faith in an outcome, it can be a very powerful force that uh, causes a lot of serendipity, uh, synchronicity, coincidences, people to show up that I do believe is outside the ability of science to explain. And, and that kind of gets to my next question, would, which would be, you know, in the beginning of the book, you talk about, I mentioned it before, the impact activity and the way that you crafted it, you, you know, your chiropractic business. And there was a lot of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, like vis- visualization and affirmations um, that you used in order to really grow the clients for your, your chiro- chiropractic business. I mean, it was, it was more of a, a mental state of mind that kind of got you to really blow up your practice in, in a good way. Um, so could you kind of talk about that a little bit more? And, and we talked about meditation. So now more of like the affirmations that that helped you to get there? I'm an unabashed believer in goals, in faith, in visualization, in forced repetition, uh, all the things that are, um, you, know, you can do to influence your mind. You know, keep in mind, I come from a sports background, so it wasn't completely foreign to me. You know, before you walk on a basketball court, you had better have your head together. And you, before you're, you're, you're walking onto an Olympic platform to compete against people, you don't leave your mind a chance. No, no, no. You, you talk to those people, they, they have affirmed in their minds. They see exactly what's going to happen. They've worked for that outcome of the mental preparation before the event. Well, for some reason, we get beyond our sports, and we can't think that way. I don't know why it's so difficult to see that in real life, but it wasn't for me. It was a very logical next step. Uh, I really, for me, I can speak that I needed to win the inner game uh, before I could win the outer game. I needed to control my beliefs and my thought process, and you can do that by sitting down and rehearsing, visualizing in your mind, you can, you can choose beliefs that are empowering. You're not stuck with beliefs. And keep in mind that your beliefs generally are just opinions that you've formed throughout life due to the repetition of your environment. Well, how about if that's not, that's like involuntary. How about when we grow up, we decide to take control of that? You know, that's what that's all about. How about if I believe instead this world is out to get me? How about if I believe this world is out to help me if I do my job? You know, so you can choose beliefs that are empowering. I don't believe that. Uh, wealthy people are evil or greedy. Or any, I believe that you can't get wealthy without serving others. Those are the kind of beliefs I, 
I don't believe I know. People think that you, once you get wealthy, you have to give back to society. They got it all backwards. You got to give to society to get wealthy. That's what people don't understand. And when your beliefs aren't aligned, you will find yourself bumping up against a ceiling that you can't even define. Just like the 15 point basketball player that can't figure out why he can't score 20. It's invisible. The difference between execution and your intention, man, it's all in those invisible beliefs. You'll self-sabotage yourself until you get yourself really congruent in the mental game of uh, whatever it is you're pursuing. You have to believe it. You have to, you have to want it, uh, but not want other things more than it. Like your, like your, like your freedom. You want to give it to your effort. You want to, there's a lot that goes into it, but it all starts with your belief without your mind. You're nothing. And it takes a lot of self-discipline to come up with those habits and, and be repetitive with the habits as well. And to, you know, have a consistency that goes along with it, which, uh, this is something that you talk about as well. Um, John, I'm going to try to wrap it down now. We're coming up on our, our 30 minute clock. Um, what, so did, would you say who what inspired you to write this would be your, your grandfather and, and your, your, you know, your, your family and like your upbringing inspired you to write this or what? You know, Anthony, I think the, uh, I, like I, I, I really believe that most parents want to pass on their lessons, Son, yeah. and especially if you, uh, if you, if you've experienced a life that was painful, that turned to victory, uh, and you don't want your kids to to experience painful forever, uh, that to me would be one of the worst fates uh, for me as a parent to watch my kids struggle, while I never advised them. I just died and didn't tell them anything. How about that? Like, how selfish is that? And it wasn't easy to write this book because after I retired, it took me 50 hours a week for three years. I gave it. It's not easy. This basement right here, I sat in this basement. So it's almost like you give a ticket three years of your life to say, here's what I'm giving. And again, you're doing it for others. In this case, my son. We didn't decide to self-publish this till this was all over. And even at that point, it was difficult to do it. So my motivation, and that's a big question when you talk about self-discipline, my motivation was family. Uh, usually the greatest motivations you'll ever find are outside of yourself. That's what keeps you going. What's your why? I would feel like a failure if I didn't tell my kids how to get ahead. That's all. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, where can people find The Wealthy Gardener to purchase? It is everywhere now, Anthony. Uh, I was picked up by a publisher, and now it's you can get it in six different languages. So you can get it in Chinese and Korea if you like. Um, different countries, audiobook? I don't even know how to pronounce. <laughs> you did the audio book in Chinese too? Korean? You know, <laughs> no, but I, I want to say this. Uh, Dennis, my narrator for the audio book, just did a, a masterpiece. He's, he, that audio book gets five stars right across the board forever it hit number 46 worldwide and i do want to say this if you if you like audiobooks you'll get an experience from that because dennis took it to a whole new level dennis uh, my narrator he's a stud that's awesome i might i might uh i'm almost done i might finish it with the audio version so um excellent how can people reach out to you and find you uh, also you know i right now i have a a, a website called wealthygardener.com and, uh, you know, 
I'm sometimes on it, sometimes not. So, you know, I'm a guy who's just not a full-time PR man who writes books, who speaks a lot. I'm still involved with a life. And so that is my website, but I don't, I don't hover around it every day of my life, but that's where I, I, I am. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, I'd encourage everybody listening to definitely pick up a copy, whether it's paper or the audiobook version. Um, I actually, I, I prefer the paper, but if you're, if it's an experience, then I have to get it. Um, and you know, definitely, uh, check out John's content. He's got a lot of good content. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, John, again, for coming on our show. Uh, really appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again when you write the wealthy gardener too. <laughs> Don't pressure me, Anthony. I'm still tired from that book, but thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it.